Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. We don't, we don't have any DeLoreans here tonight, but if we did, and you could step back in the DeLorean and go back in time, if it were a time machine, I wonder how many people would go back in time to correct some things in their past, or to redo some things in their past, or maybe, you know, two or three, or 300, or how many other things in your past you need to redo. Most of us would probably take advantage of that opportunity, even if it wouldn't alter the future. We'd probably take advantage of that opportunity to correct something that's, um, that's been hanging there probably, and probably the, that the enemy's been using over the years to slap us around or try to slap us around occasionally and get our attention about things. But um, this, this passage here in Mark 6, as we continue to walk through the book of Mark, this passage in Mark 6 is, is really about that very thing. It's about Jesus going back to Nazareth and about seeing this whole environmental thing happening there. And I believe that taking the 12 with him, we'll look at that in just a minute, to witness all of this. And then leaving there and going village to village to village to village, probably in fairly quick succession. You hear that? Yeah. No, I don't think it's downstairs. If there's about an 80 hertz or 100 hertz on my mic, back the low end back just a little bit. There you go. Anyway, or maybe it was a train now that I, now that I hear a train coming. <laughs> in fact, it probably was a train. Um, anyway... This, this whole story of his going back to Nazareth and with the 12 with him going forward to, to these villages, village after village after village, and seeing this occur for them, I think, was a powerful teaching tool. I think it, it will be for us tonight. Turn to, to Mark 6, and we'll look at these first uh, 13 verses together and um, see what we can glean, what the Lord would have for us from, to have from there. I went down this afternoon to, to, to tweak and print out my notes and my computer's picked up some kind of virus or some kind of deal, and I, you know, I couldn't open any files or anything. So, well, I, I was able to get a, a PowerPoint file open. So, I'm, I'm going old school tonight with with uh, ink, pen, and paper. It's about 20 years since I've taught like this. So, um, in fact, my greatest struggle is probably going to be reading my own handwriting. I'm so used to reading typesetting, and, and I don't, I don't write very well to begin with. But anyway. We're going to look at this from two different perspectives, this Nazareth perspective, and then as we, uh, as we shift here in verses uh, 6 and 7 and 8 and following, as he goes village to village. First of all, I want us to look at this idea of moving beyond your past, uh, from initially facing where you came from. And I think that's I think the first step for all of us, to move beyond what's happened in the past, to face where we came from. Um, that happens in verses 1 and 2. In fact, let's go ahead and read this text and come back and, and pull it apart. Jesus left there. And went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. That that what's this wisdom that's been given him? They said, what are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James? Joseph, Judas, and Simon. Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, only... In their own towns, among their relatives, and in their own homes are prophets without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. 
Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave and t- as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that the people should repent, and they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Now, moving beyond your past, as I said initially, the first, the first step there is, is facing where you came from. Now, whether it's good or bad, and I don't, I don't know what your past looks like to you. It may, it may be something you want to run from as fast as you can. It may be something you want to glean from as much as you can, or it may be something in between. I don't know what your past looks like for you. For him, it didn't look very good because, as you'll recall, uh, when, we, when we first entered here, the book of Mark, and we're walking through this, um, we're seeing where he come from. And Philip asked the question when, when told about him, uh, you know, you've got to come see this guy. And Philip says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? When he hears, hears he's from Nazareth, Nazareth? I mean, are you serious? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. It's a little podunk town. We looked at that, in fact, uh, back at Christmas time. Little little one one caution lot town there in, in Ma- Nazareth in the middle of nowhere, a town of about three hundred people. Most of them were tradesmen, and most of them worked in nearby towns because it was a bedroom community to to some other larger towns around. But it was a, it was a nothing podunk little town. And so as he goes back there to not just reveal who he is, but I think teach the twelve about this whole thing of of. Um, uh, Moving beyond your past and moving beyond the things that are, that are difficult to you, moving beyond the hurdles in your life, I think was a great teaching tool for them. And I would encourage you, whatever, whatever your past looks like, and you may like, as I say, you may like it looking here tonight. You may be grateful for it, grateful for your parents, grateful for the experiences you experienced, for the friends you had, for all of your childhood and all your growing up. But you may look back on it and say, oh, I'd like to move from that as quickly as I could, or at least some decisions that I made as quickly as I could. Regardless of that, going back there, I think, is an essential element that, that is a beginning place for all of us to see before we can move into our future. We've got to deal with some things in our past. Now, secondly, is not only facing where we came from, but facing who we were. Look at verse 3. Um, and they're, they're, they're questioning, now, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sister, sisters here with, here with us? And they took offense at him. Every, every word in this verse is to try and humanize a holy Jesus. Do you notice that? Every word in this verse is to bring holiness, to bring deity into humanity. Why do they do that? Why do folks do that? To try and bring us down to their level, to try and take us down a notch. And, and you, may have, you may have faced these kind of folks in your life. You may face them regularly. Folks who are, I was thinking, I'm trying, trying to think of a kind way to say lazy. Folks who are less ambitious. <laughs> well, take somebody who's ambitious and whether it's, whether it's on a job front or work front or whether it's, you know, guys cleaning out brush down here at the road or painting doors at the church, they'll look at somebody ambitious and say, you know, can't you slow down a notch? Who, who are you trying to impress? What's your... And that's, we do that to, to try and level the playing field so that all, our, all of our laziness looks the same. And that's, that's very much what was going on here in them trying to humanize a holy man to say, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? Aren't his sisters here? Isn't this just a regular Joe? Who does he think he is? He's from here. We know the reputation about people that come from here. Who does he think he is? And that's everything and then some about what that verse is trying to do is to try and not exalt himself up to the level of, wow, what an incredible thing God has done to bring the Messiah from our town. 
Now, wouldn't you think some of them would at least have that kind of thought? Here he is teaching in synagogue, and so hopefully there's some followers around. And wouldn't you think their first thought would be, man, it God good to send the Messiah from Nazareth. Is this the one? Could this be the guy? I mean, we've heard his reputation. He's been around all these towns, healing sick, casting out demons. We heard that maybe this, girl's, this little, little girl was raised from the dead last week. Is this the guy? This... And as they find out, this is the carpenter's son. And rather than a, the Messiah came from Nazareth, look at what God's done for our little, little city. It's, let's bring him down to our level. And oftentimes that's the case of folks. When you start to grow spiritually, when you start to move into a spiritual direction that is at least with movement, let's say, you'll find folks around you trying to draw you back into that. And there are some difficult decisions you make. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Some difficult decisions that have to be made in life to say, you know, if this is the environment that's going to drag me down, I've got to move from that environment. Sometimes it may be a workplace. Sometimes it may be friends you've known for 20 years that don't want to grow, content to stay exactly where they are. And you think, man, can I not encourage? Can I not stimulate? Can I not pull some of these friends along? And you try that, and, and, and months turn, weeks turn into months, turn into years, turn into a decade or two, and you're looking back and think, they're not any further along than, than they were. And I love them and I care about them, but I don't want to stay there. And if they want to stay there, okay, let them stay there. I still love them. We'll go out to dinner occasionally, send each other a Christmas card. But I don't want, that's not where I want to live. I don't want to stay there anymore. And so as difficult as it, as it is, I want to begin to, and this may sound elitist to you, and if it is, so be it. I, I, I apologize for sounding elitist, but sometimes you need to move beyond where we are, move beyond the, the, the situations that have, that have stifled our growth to say, I've got to put myself in a better situation where I can see and understand God's word and be challenged by people that are wanting to challenge me and I want to challenge them. There's some level of discomfort in that. I'm leaving what's comfortable, what I've always known, but there's some level of discomfort, and there always is in growth. <laughs> growth is uncomfortable. I mean, you start growing as a teenage boy and your, 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 your joints start to ache a little bit and, and things, you know, things start stretching out and your clothes don't fit and, and, and you're, 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 you feel like a geek and your voice oh, starts to change when you're in middle school and things like that start to happen. You feel wow, what's going on? And growth's painful. It's sometimes embarrassing. It sometimes puts us in a situation where, who do you think you are? <laughs> trying, to, trying to walk deeper in it. <clears throat> You're from Nazareth. Why don't you get back to Nazareth, where you came from, and remind yourself again of who you are and what your life's supposed to be about. The third thing is this. It's facing the reality of influence. Look at verses 4 and 5. Jesus said to them, only in their own towns, among the relatives, in their own Homes are prophets without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Now, and now remember, this is all he had done everywhere he went was do that, to lay his hands on sick people and heal them, to cast demons out. I mean, every place he'd gone, in fact, he went, we saw several weeks ago, he went to Capernaum and healed the whole town. Every sick person in the whole town, every demon-possessed person in the whole town of Capernaum came out. And so, word for, as I said last week, he was a rock star. I mean, in the Galilean region, he was known. Words st- traveled fast about him, and, and here he comes back to his own town and, and heals only but a few sick people. Why? Well, verse 6 says he was amazed at their lack of faith. Amazed at their lack of faith. The reality of our influence is this. We all have a reputation. Um, sometimes we have a reputation to live up to. Sometimes we have a reputation to live down to. But we all have a reputation. And whether you like yours or dislike yours, it is what it is. You can't go back in the DeLorean and change it. 
Your reputation is what it is. Your past is what it is. Now, does that define who you are and where you're going? Absolutely not. We're going to see that in just a moment. But it is still there. You can't erase it. You can't get rid of it. Here's the great news in all of this is that God can use that. God can use the most broken. God can use the most most disdainful thing you can ever think of in your world. God can use your darkest place that you've ever been. He can use the most disobedient time you've ever known from him. He can use the greatest failure and the greatest mistake you've ever made. He can use, he can use anything to his glory. He can use anything to his glory. Once you get that, you've gone about 80% toward beating the enemy back when he tries to remind you and tries to throw your past up into your face. And th- Once you get that God can use anything in your past for his glory and will... If we're willing to let him, we'll use everything in your past. You mean even the, that? Yeah, you can use that. And th- there are no accidents, you know, in life when you consider this. Uh, now, is our disobedience, is our sin, is our, is our past on purpose? No, absolutely not. But there are no accidents because God never said, wow. God is never surprised by anything you and I do, have ever done, will ever do. Consequently, he can use anything you and I have ever done or will ever do. He's not taken aback by that at all. He's not displaced by that at all. In fact, um, you look at Scripture over and over and over again, and, and we don't have time to dig into all of that, but, but uh, Paul's a great example. Mark here, John Mark is a great example of disobedience and coming back to God. I mean, over and over and over in Scripture, we find folks that walked away from him. And he uses the very walk away from him to bring not only them but others back to him or to know him for the first time. And what an incredible thing it is to come to the reality that, that God can use anything. It, when, when, you, when, you look at that, when you look at life that way, you realize that every situation, every circumstance is a lesson. It's not failure. It's not success or failure. God doesn't have some big gauge up here in heaven. The quicker we get that out of our mind, that he's got some gauge of goodness and badness, the further we're going to be toward growing in him the way we need to grow in him. He can use anything and everything, and he will use everything, anything and everything. When we start to see things that way, everything becomes a lesson. Every failure becomes a lesson. Every success becomes a lesson. Every learned thing from someone else, from their experience of success or failure, becomes a lesson. All of life becomes a lesson. When you start to see that there are no accidents, and he can use and will use everything. Your past becomes less of a threat when we start to see life that way. When we start to see life in the sense that he sees it, and that what I mean by that is nothing caught him by surprise. He can and will use everything. He's turned failure into success over and over and over again with folks in Scripture. Can he do that in me? Not as long as I listen to the enemy. Not as long as I allow the enemy to regurgitate my failure. Not as long as I allow the enemy to regurgitate my past and say, do you remember? Do you know? Do you, you think God's going to? you really believe that? And these thoughts come into our mind usually situationally, over and over again, weekly, monthly, daily, hourly, however often that Satan works with us to say, you you can't get past that. Be good over here. Do some good things over here. But you can't get past that. God can't use your testimony. What kind of testimony do you have? He can't use that. Yes, he can. And he has over and over and over and over again. Now, I think he takes the 12 into the situation for them to see that. Because you know what I think they expected? I think the 12 expected the, the red carpet to be rolled out since he walked into Nazareth. I think they expected a parade. I think they expected, you know, the Super Bowl champions are coming back and the confetti's flying and the, and the red caution lights flashing in the middle of the town. And I think, I think they're, they're fully expected. They're going to Nazareth. He's from Nazareth. I mean, this is, this is going to be cool. 
And they go and they see all this. Aren't you the carpenter's son? They see all this humanization of a man that they've seen nothing but divine out of to this point. And it gives them a perspective that they've never seen before. It gives them a perspective that, yes, he is all God, but he is all man. And because he's all God, he can do anything. And because he's all man, he can understand everything. You get that? Because he's all God, he can do anything. Because we've seen it. <laughs> we've seen demons cast out. We saw Jairus' daughter just come back to the, from the dead. He, because he's God, he can do everything. Because he's man, he knows us. <laughs> he's dirty. His sweat stinks like ours does. He's got be all. He, he's, he's all human, yet all divine. He understands every failure, every facet of life that we walk through. Gave them a perspective they've never seen before. To this point, walking with him. Now, is it possible to move, move beyond your past? Certainly, but we have to see it from a different perspective to do so. We have to see it, as I described earlier, and that everything is a lesson. We have to see it from the standpoint that even failure, even my darkest failure, God can use to bring glory to himself through my life. Um, that's a choice. I mean, no, th- th- I wish I could point you to a book, point you to a song, point you to a sermon, point you to something to say, you read this, do this, walk through, and your past is going to be cleaned up. No, it's a choice we make every day to push the enemy back. Because you know why? He's going to come Tuesday. (laughs) And we push him back on Tuesday, and he's going to come Thursday. And we push him back on Thursday, and he's going to come. And when he gets tired of being pushed back over and over, he'll leave that area alone in your life, and you gain some victory there. Now, he may may invade another area, and likely will. But he'll stop invading that because he's tired of losing. And you push the enemy back and you push him back and you push him back and your past no longer becomes a threat. Or at least that memory of whatever he's regurgitating. Said, do, you, do you remember that? Do you, are you really going to... That becomes no threat to you anymore. In fact, you can begin to see it turn and be, begin to see God have the potential to use that in someone else's life that's walked the same place or is about to walk the same place that needs the deliverance of your story and how God has used that to change you. But that's a choice we make. It's, it's not, you know... There isn't some come down here and pray tonight and, and all your past is done away with. It's, I've got to beat the enemy back tomorrow. I've got to beat the enemy back the next day. And I've got to choose to make a choice to say, no, that's not who I am. No more. That's not who I am. That's a choice we make. And we, we, we need to make the right one. Now, not only do we need to move beyond our past, but, but to, to see who he wants us to see and what he wants us to see, we need to move into our future in these next few verses. As he sends the 12 out, uh, beginning in, the, in 6 and 7, Deal with that. The first thing I want us to see is that moving into our future is best done with others. Look at verse 7. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. Now, the reason that doing life with others and, and walking into our future and what God has for us with others is of such great benefit beyond accountability. Now, that's where probably most of us would jump. As we would say, we need to do others do life with others because we're held accountable. Well, that's good. And we need accountability. We need, we need the reference of others. But from a standpoint of a broader and deeper and wider and more long-lasting influence, we need to do life with others. That's exactly what he was talking about here with the 12. In fact, what he demonstrates here in, in, in verse 7 is this concept of reproduction, of reproducing himself in them. In essence, that he doesn't say that in this verse because I think it's assumed, and I think he assumes they get it, and they do. Because he gives them instruction and they, go, they, they follow the instruction. But what, he, what, he, what, what is, is shared with them and what he anticipates from them is go do what you have seen. Go model what you have heard. Go replicate the things in the world that you have seen in me. 
That idea of reproduction is, is such a valuable thing, not only in the kingdom, in the church, in life, in work, anywhere else. Because why? You're, you're, the things God has done in your life are going to die with you if you don't reproduce those things in other people. If those stories are not told of what God has done for me in this, in a dark place, in a place where, where you know, uh, my friend's little 12-year-old boy is, is, is likely going to die with cancer unless God intervenes. When we, when we walk through dark places and we experience something of God that we've never experienced in, in another place besides a dark place, when we, when we walk there, we've experienced that, those stories have power in someone else's life. Why? Because they know of a similar story. Or they may have a 12-year-old kid too. And, and so as those stories are told over and over and over, this idea of reproducing what God has done in us becomes contagious to them. And not only do they want to model that kind of behavior themselves, they start to move and gravitate toward, toward hard things. We talked about this a few weeks ago. They start to move and gravitate toward things that are difficult in a hard place. Why? Because of the fruit that it bears. Because of the difference that it makes in their life that can only be found through a hard place, through a difficult time, not in all the successes. So doing life with others is, and this idea of reproducing and telling our story, it grew broader than him. Because had he not done this, had he not modeled to them, go tell. Go, go tell. Had he not modeled to them and instructed them to do this, it would have died with him. I mean, you think about it. If he never tells them to do this, They've got some great stories to tell people in life, but they're never admonished to do so. They've seen some incredible things after his ascension. But that's where it dies with him. And he says, I'm coming back. And they're looking forward to his coming back. And I, and I, would, I would submit to you today that 90% of believers, maybe higher than that percentage, but 90% of believers are living with that mentality. Not go and tell, but come and get me. Come Come rescue I don't like this world. It's a dark place. It's a hard place. It's not good to me. It's not good to my family. It's foreign. To, it's, I don't like this. Come rescue me. Rather than what I think God's saying to us is get two, get two of you together and go. Go somewhere and, and share. Tell your story someplace else, to someone else. Um, it'll matter. It'll change, change their idea. Anyway, this is, this is, I think, an essential element. And I think a, a great thing that you need to know if you're a parent um, that whether you want the, the idea of reproduction to happen, and I'm, I'm not talking about natural reproduction, I'm talking about social and spiritual and, and, and relational reproduction that your kids watch you engage in every day. Whether you want it to reproduce, it's reproducing. So make, it, make a point to realize reproduction is a natural thing, and I need to make sure that reproduction is accurate. <laughs> and I need to make sure that w- what my kids see in me looks like this very thing. And so what he's saying is, it's, it can't die with me. It needs to go into you. And so... When you see that, when you start to see the value of reproduction, and this is a great corporate concept too if you're in the business world, but when you see the value of reproduction, you are raising your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Why? Because you're sowing a value system into your child that they're going to sow into theirs, that they're going to sow into theirs, and they're all going to test it, okay? They're going to get to be adults like we all were in our probably early 20s or when we started a family or maybe late teens, early 20s, even some into our 30s, and we're going to test and push back against the value system we saw in our parents or that we saw at church or that we saw in someone we, we admired and respected. And so either that value system stands and we see it as legit and it's truth and we go with it or... I'm chucking that. I'm going to go with plan B over here. So those value systems are tested and shaped all the time by young adults. And so as you, as parents, as you're seeing that very thing happen, you're, going, you're seeing that little bitty kid grow up to be a teenager, and that teenager is going to be a young adult. A young adult is going to get married, going to start a family, going to start a career, and going to do life on their own, connected to you, but mainly disconnected from you now. And they're going to, excuse me, push back against the very values that they saw in your home. And so if they stand... 
If they're true, if they're based on his word and they stand, guess what? They're going to sow those same values into their kids. Because they stood. They were tested and stood. And guess what? Their kids are going to do the same thing. If they stand, and they will if they're based on his word, they may not otherwise, but they will if they're based on his word, guess what's going to happen? Those kids are going to teach it to their kids. And so this multi-generational idea of reproduction is a natural thing that occurs. Why? Because we're watching each other. We're watching our parents, what they do. The same thing concept here. He said, what you've seen in me, go do. Go tell. Go share. Go out two by two. Now, not only uh, is it best done with others, but it's best done and more effective with a mission. I want to get to the crux of this real quickly. Look in verses 8 to 10. That's, that's where he throws out these instructions for him. And he's, he's real clear about it. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. I'll, don't you love that instruction? He's real, real frank with him. He's, these are 12 pretty reasonably hardened guys. I mean, half, half of them were fishermen. And the other half were, nobody wanted to hang out with them. I mean, they were tax collectors. They were scum, basically. And, and these are 12 misfits, and he's got the misfits in the, in the gang here together. And he said, hey, here's what you need to do. Don't take any food. Don't take any. God, in essence, God's going to provide. Here's your three things. I'm getting ahead of myself. Here's three things I want you to see. That, that this, as this plan lays out in verses 8 to 10. And he gives them a plan, and you and I need a plan. We need a sense of mission to live by. I don't know if that's, I've challenged you to do that before. I don't know if that's something you've done or not yet. But if you haven't, please sit down and say, God, what's my life supposed to be about? And start to put pen and paper. Find a notes page in your Bible in the front or in the back or, or against the front or back cover and start to jot down just ideas of, of here, maybe this is what my life's supposed to be about. And as you understand more about your calling, more about your giftedness and your passion, and you see those things come together, your call becomes much more clear. And when you find that, you start to bear fruit in your life. And when you start to bear fruit in your life, you're going to see it, that becomes contagious in and of itself. So why is living with a missional sense of focus important? Because it gives us a gauge. How do you and I know whether we're being effective in the lives of other people or not? If there's nothing to measure it against. If, if, we're, if we're going back to this goodness and badness scale and we're weighing our day or our week or our month or our year on the level of goodness and badness that we've done, how do we gauge that? Because the enemy's going to raise the... He's going to raise the bad into our minds. All the, so, so, so we gauge that against the sense of mission. We gauge that against the sense of call. Here's what my life is supposed to be about. Now, based on that, what do I look like? Not based on them. Not based on her. Not based on him. But based on the sense of what God's called me to do, what do I look like? There's some measurability there. That's why the, living with a sense of mission is such an important thing is because it gives, us, it gives us a gauge. Now, three things I think he spells out here for him in verses 8 through 10. First of all, the first thing is to simplify. And he tells that for him. Um, take nothing for your journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. What's he saying? Get down to what really matters. Don't take provisions. Don't depend on your own energy. Don't depend on your own substance. You depend on me. I'm going to provide for you. Don't, don't, don't need the trappings that you have surrounded yourself with to make you feel like you're adequate. To make you feel like you can deliver and, 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 and make the journey okay. Um, The idea of simplification is that, that it not get in the way of our mission. That the things around us that we feel like are important, are, don't, they, don't, they don't become stumbling blocks. And I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what simplifying looks like for you. It may mean getting out of debt. It may mean a career change for some of you. It may mean uh, that, that I, as I said, 
I'm, I'm moving away from some relationships that I feel like are choking me spiritually and that are, that are, I can't, you know, uh, I just, we, we can't as a family be what God wants us to be and hang out with these folks anymore. They're not evil. They're not bad. They just don't want to move any closer to Jesus than they are. And we do. It, sometimes it may, I don't know what simplification looks like to you. I don't know if it looks like selling some stuff that you value, that makes you feel better about yourself. But whatever it is here, he's saying to them, don't take any of this with you. And, and it's not just on this journey, but he's saying, I think, metaphorically in life, simplify yourself. Understand the power of your mission. Understand the power of what I'm asking you to do here and do it in ways that only that is seen. Only that is noticed. Not you. Not how you arrived. Not how slick you said what you said. Not where you live, what you do. For Not any of that. Let the sense of mission that I'm giving you, this sense of going and telling the story, let this sense of mission be what drives you, not how you do it, not how you get there, not the package. The second thing beyond simplification is to build relationships. Uh, look at verse 10. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. Why? Because he wants there to be some longevity in relationships. He wants relationships to matter. He don't want there, there to be this thing associated with him and his ministry and his life and Christianity and the, and, and the emerging church as a whole to be a, a, a fleeting thing. He doesn't want this to be, ah, oh, they were over here for a while, they were over here for a while. They, you know, they went to where the spotlight was. And there wasn't a spotlight over here, so they went over here, a little more notoriety over here, a little, little bigger town over here, folks with a little more means over here. He didn't want that kind of reputation at all. He said, I want you to build relationships with people. So stay in the house. When you go to town, you stay in that same house. Build a relationship with them. You know what you, what's going to happen? Not only are they going to respect you, but the folks that see you are going to respect you because they have respect for you. And so if they have respect for them, by association, they're going to have respect for you. Consequently, when you go back to that town or that town or that neighbor or that friend, hears about Jesus again, hears about the work of Christ again, hears about Christianity again, hears that a church wants to start in this town again, it's favorable to them and not they were gone. He wasn't here for five minutes. And they were out of town. They were gone. You know, it's, it's kind of like, and, and this is not, please don't, it's not a judgment on evangelism, not a judgment on evangelists. But evangelists, many, uh, not many, some, some are, some are, some are evangelists of convenience. You've heard this, the statement, they have 10 sermons and 10 suits. There are some evangelists like that. Why? Because they can go and stir up. Go to church and stir up, and that, that pastor of that church is left with all the stirring up, with a stirred pot. And the evangelist has gone out of town to go someplace else. And they're left with a bunch of questions about, am I really saved, or am I, did I, have, this, 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 was this sin deep enough for me to, and, and the pastor's got to field all of that and work through all the maze of, of what, the, what the enemy's doing and what God's trying to do in the midst of all that stuff. Please don't take that as a negative about evangelism. I'm for evangelists, okay? Um, they're, they're blessed people, but they have the convenience of moving on. When a, when a local pastor and a local friend and somebody that this person has taken, taken these disciples into their house, that, there's a relationship there. There's some investment there. They've sat down and eat together. They've shared some life together. They've, they've done each other's laundry maybe. There's some, there's some investment here in what's going on. He said, take that. as a, That's a serious thing. Get to know people. Don't just see people as commodities. Don't use them for what good they can bring into your life. Get to know them. Build a relationship with them. Do some life with them. Live with them. Have community with them. Build uh, a relationship deeper than what the surface is here, out here in the world. The world longs for community. Build that with each other. Build that with folks as you go from town to town. The third thing is this. 
Um, don't waste your time. Number three, um, recognize, and this, this is sometimes hard to do, recognizing where the Spirit has gone ahead of you and where he hasn't. And he's saying here, by, by, don't, you know, don't waste your time in this town. Dust your feet off if they don't welcome you. The deeper message there is don't waste your time when the Spirit has not gone ahead of you to prepare the way, to prepare the heart, to prepare, prepare the place, to prepare the relationship for this conversation or that, this encounter or that. Recognize where the Spirit has gone ahead of you and the situation is ripe and it's open. And if it's not ripe and open, the Spirit's not gone ahead of you. Don't push ahead. Don't cram it down. Back off and pray some more for the Spirit to speak to this individual, to this family, to this situation, to this circumstance, and then give you the freedom to step into it with whatever word God gives you to step into it with. You and I oftentimes, and some some of this depends on personality. Folks who are more type A personalities, it's far easier for them to step into a situation without even thinking, meaning that I can can bring about some good here. If if, if, if everybody around, are you with me? Are you... And those type A personalities can kind of sell themselves and their ideas and their concepts on everybody else, whether there's ripeness or readiness for that or not. And the type B or C or D personalities, they're more hindered. I don't know that anybody, I don't know that I've ever seen a spirit ready for anybody. Because first of all, nobody wants to hear what I've got to say. And I've never done anything uh, of any note. I've never never accomplished anything of any significance. I'll just stay back here in the background and be my... And so... Both of those extremes end up accomplishing, I mean, the, the top A ends up alienating somebody the Spirit's not prepared, and the top C or D or E is back here never taking a chance where the Spirit's already gone ahead and said, all you need is conversation, and the person's ready. <laughs> I mean, they're ready to come to church, they're ready to accept Christ, they're ready for life to change, they're ready for, all you need is a conversation. So will, you, will you breach it? Will you move there? Will you hit? And he's saying these relationships are of incredible importance in that, along that vein. Don't waste your time on, on places where the Spirit's not gone ahead and as I said, that's not easy to recognize. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to tell you that right up front. It is if you know the person. It is if you've built relationships. It's easier to recognize if there's a relationship there. If there's no relationship there, it's difficult without breaching spiritual conversation and seeing if there's a pushback. If there's a pushback, let it go. Wait for a later time. Um, yeah, but apart from breaching spiritual conversation, it, it is difficult to know that unless you know the person real well. The, 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 the last thing I want to point out is this, is moving into our future is only possible when we go. Look at verse 12. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. You know the two most important words there? Verse 2. They went. They went. You know why? No demons get cast out if they don't go. No sick people get healed if they don't go. Nobody repents if they don't go. None of the rest of these byproducts happen until they go. And so this, this idea of, of you and I keeping this, this truth and this valuable message God's given us to ourselves um, is, is bad because if we don't take it there, nothing happens. Um, here's what I want you to see in this, in this whole concept of, of your future, and that's this. The most important thing about your future, my future, all of our futures, Anybody's future, for that matter. The most important thing about your future are the people in it. It's not what's accomplished out there ahead of you. It's not the reputation of what you've come from. The most important thing about your future are the people that God has in it. Why? Because those people have souls. (laughs) And there are eternal consequences for the decisions they make and the decisions we make. Uh, It's vitally important that we see our future from a standpoint of folks and not things, folks, and not stuff, folks, and not treasures, folks, and not consequences, folks, and not trappings. 
it's important that we, and, or even folks and not success, or folks and not uh, accomplishments. It's important we see our future from a people perspective because that's what God wanted the 12 to see. He wanted them to see, as I'm, as I'm taking you back to Nazareth, they don't think I'm all that. Everybody in this whole region does. In fact, you guys, you guys have... You guys have coattailed me around this whole Galilean region here for these last several weeks. And, uh, you know, and we're treated like rock stars. We walk into place, and everybody's, hey, Jesus is in town. And the 12, and they, they get up close to the 12. Do you know this guy? I mean, y'all are tired. I mean, give, give me, you know, have it, let, me, let me get me a little closer to him. We, um, it's, it's, we were sitting at the table with the governor last night at this um, uh, wedding. And... Um, we, we didn't intend to sit at the table with the governor, but we're sitting over against the wall, and Leanne and I have gone to get a plate. We're sitting against the wall, and Chrissy invites us over to the table. To, and they had several open chairs. They invites us over to the table, and, and immediately, as we go over to the table, I'm, I mean, I'm trying to eat. They're, they're, nobody has any food, so you know it's how uncomfortable he's eating in front of us. Well, it wasn't uncomfortable for me, but I, I started to eat because and, and, it was good. The food was good. It had banana pudding in a mason jar. It really is good pudding, too. Anyway, but it was, it was great reception food for a reception. But um, I noticed people starting looking at the table from other tables. Like, who are these cats sitting down at the And we're no cats. I mean, we were just sitting against the wall, and, and you know, Chrissy knew us through Hannah, of course, and invites us over to sit down at the table, and that's all there was to it. And, and this, this whole sense of... You know, <laughs> kind of getting looks from the people in the place. Like, what the what? Who did they know to get it? And we didn't, we're, we're, you know us. I mean, we're nobody. So th- this whole, but this whole concept of, this whole concept of, of association, he, he tried to get them to see by saying, I want to take you back. You, you know, you think he didn't know what was going to happen when he, he's God. He knows what's going to happen when he goes back to Nazareth. You think he didn't know that? So he takes the 12 into this situation to say, I'm no rock star. And, and your association with me has, has, should have little to do with the things I've done. Little to do with the fame that I've generated. And everything to do with who I am. Not what I've done. Who I am. Do you see that? They still think I'm the carpenter's son. I'm nobody over here. I'm going to be nobody over here. I can be 80 and come back to Nashville. I'm still nobody. I'm still the carpenter's son. Why? I grew up here. They know me as the carpenter's son. I'm not all of that to them. The difference is you've seen a side of me that they've never seen. You've seen it all. You've seen me, in a, you've seen me be a nobody. You've seen me be a somebody. Now, have you seen the fact that I'm Messiah in all that? Have you seen God in all of that? That's what I want you to see. And that's why, that's why as I say, he takes him here in verse 6 to say, we're going to go village to village. We're going to leave Nazareth. We're going to go village to village. As we go village to village, we're going to establish a home base, and I'm going to send you out two by two because I want you to start to put into place. And you're nobody to these folks it's important to know when you go into the village, you're going to have to build a relationship with somebody, stay with them a while. He's telling them all this because they've seen it. They've just witnessed it. And so th- this, whole, this whole idea of, of our, our modeling after him and our modeling after this idea of reproduction, I think, is essential. A um, couple, of, couple of observations here, and, and we're done. If it, if it really is the people in our future that are important, and if you know what God has called you to, maybe you don't, but if you do, or if you have a good idea of what God has called you to, here's my next question. What are you waiting on? What are we waiting on? If, if we know that our future is about folks and it's not about us, 
Not about our accomplishments. Not about deeds. Not about tasks. It's about folks. We know that. And we, we have some sense of idea what God has called us to. What in the world are we waiting on? Uh, because he's saying here, he, he admonishes them, get after it. Go two by two. Don't go by yourself. There's strength with somebody else. And I would admonish you that as well. Don't, don't ignore the fact that he sent them out together. There's strength together. And we need each other. That's what church is for. We, we draw strength together. Because nobody likes us. Well, some people like us and many marginalize us. And some just hate us, frankly, in this world. In Knoxville, absolutely. Um, write a newspaper article for, to the editor and you'll see what I'm talking about. But, but there, 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 are, there are situations where we need each other. I mean, we need, we need the connection and the, and the body life of each other. But we'll never get there if we're tied to the past. Never get there if we're in bondage to whatever Satan has around our neck, around our, drawing our, pulling our ankle back every day. We, we'll never get there if that's the case. So as we close, here's, here's a question I want to pose to you tonight. And you, this is your own introspection, not mine. What is there in your life or in your past that the enemy has, has you in bondage over? What is there in your life or in your past that he's keeping you tied to? And it, like I said, it may, it may feel like a 200-pound weight. It may feel like something that's, that's, this is 20 years old. You mean I'm still, dra- I'm still dragging this? Satan's still dragging me around with this? This is five years. This happened five years ago, so I'm still, yeah, I'm still dragging this, this around. And I, whatever that is, here's, what, here's my challenge to you tonight. I want to encourage you to look it and the enemy in the eye because that's, that's exactly where it's coming from is him. You know, there's this situation, circumstance doesn't have you in bondage. It's the enemy who has you in bondage. I want you to see who he is and how he works. Look him and that situation in the eye and say, no mas, no more. That's not who I am. That doesn't define me. My past no longer defines me. That failure, that situation, that whatever it is, you fill in the blank. That divorce, that whatever it is in my past, that no longer defines me. That no, that no, no longer says who I am and what my life is supposed to be about. The enemy is the one telling us that it defines us. Sometimes we need to revisit that. Anybody ever had doubts about their salvation? Probably most of us have. I did too when I was in my late teens. I had doubts about my salvation and, and I had doubts whether, and you know what the enemy was beating me up with? You were nine years old. What did you know? You didn't know squat. Because I knew a whole lot more of the scripture and I knew more, more of the nature of God even as a late teenager than I did when I was nine. And, and the enemy was using my own knowledge of God against me. to say, what did you know then? You didn't understand what you were doing. You couldn't have been serious. Are you, you know what I did? I got in my car and drove out Chapman Highway to the place where I trusted Christ. There was a tent revival there when I trusted Christ as a nine-year-old boy. There's ball fields there now. And I drove out there, drove down to the ball fields. This was in the fall. There were no games going on, fortunately. Uh, but that was a cow pasture. Uh, there were no ball fields there at the time. I trusted Christ. But I drove out to those ball fields and, and got out of my car and walked over to where, close to where I think that tent probably stood. And I, and I, I threw my hands up in there. I said, all right, y'all duke it out. It's God against the enemy, and y'all duke it out because what, something's going to happen here today. I'm either going to leave knowing that I trusted him here today or I'm going to trust him here today. I'm, I'm not leaving with this, with this bondage of, of doubt in my mind anymore. And so, as, as I said that, as it rolled off my tongue, and really all I said was, you guys duke it out. <laughs> and I just stepped away. And I, as I stepped away, I had this sense of peace in my heart. And that's exactly what I was looking for in going there. So 
I got back in my car, started my car, headed back to town. You know what? I've never doubted my salvation since. Not once, not even close. You know why? Because I went to where, I went back to the point to where something happened there. And so either I was serious and God came into my heart, or I was going to be serious that time and God came into my heart. Face that. Whatever it is, whatever it is in your past, go back to that place. Go back to that place of failure, and it may be your own salvation. That may be the same situation for you. Go back to your bedroom. Go back to that church. Go back to wherever it was. Go back to that young life camp. Go back to wherever it was. Go back to that place and say either you guys are duking it out here because either the Spirit lives in me and he's going he's to seal my heart, and I'm going to know that from now on. I'm never going to face this again, never going to deal with this again, or I'm going to do something right here. And so I want to encourage you to go back to that place wherever it is that God is, is, is saying, Will you walk away from that? Will you, tr- will you look my way? Will you, just, will you get your eyes off your past and look my way and trust me? Go look the enemy eye in the eye. Go look that situation in the eye, that sin, that circumstance, that defeat, that failure, whatever it is. Go look both of them in the eye and say, no more. That's not who I am. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to promise you, some things are going to change about that circumstance. <laughs> now, will the enemy leave you alone? No, because he wants to defeat your influence. That's what he's about with us. He knows he can't take our soul, but he wants to take our influence away from us. And so he'll, he'll find another avenue, he'll find another corner, another way to, 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 to try and draw into your life, but he'll leave you alone there if you'll do that. I promise you, if you'll go back to your past and look it in the eye, don't be afraid to face it. Don't be afraid to, to walk right in the middle of it and say, this no longer is who I am. And Satan, this no longer is who I am. I'm no longer believing you about this is who I am, and I can't move forward because of this. No more. This is not who I am. Jesus defines me in a different way here, and it's his definition that matters, not yours. He says I'm his. He says I can't escape him. He says he has plans for me, a future for me. He says all those things about me, and you don't. So no more. Please do that. Please don't allow your past to beat you down. Look into the folks that he has into your future. They're the ones that matters, not the folks in your past. Look into the folks that he's got for you to influence. Look into the ripple effect of your life. Look into this idea of reproduction that he, he sowed into these 12 and sent them out. That's what he has for you. Not bondage, not defeat, uh, not disdain, not woe is me. That's not who he's about. Um, so is there victory in that? Absolutely. But it's a choice you and I make. It's a choice to do something with the truth we now understand. To say, I'm going to apply the truth, and I'm going to face that, and deal with it honestly and openly, and move on from it. Or, I am who Satan says I am. And I drag him around the rest of my life in that area. It's a choice we make. And we make it daily, sometimes. Father, tonight as we've met here, and we've opened your word to see and hear and sense truth from your spirit, I pray that we've done so because... Our hearts are open to that, not because of anything I've said, something that's been sung, a prayer that's been, but because our hearts are open to truth. It is the truth that should change us. It's your word that should prick our hearts. And the mesh and marriage of word and spirit is always a powerful thing. As your spirit has either confirmed to us tonight, yes, that's truth for you. You need to deal with that. You need to go back and face this person in your past. Go back and face this situation in your past. Look the enemy in the eye at the same time and say, this is not who I am. You may defeat me in another area, but you're no longer going to defeat me here. I no longer will allow you to defeat me here. It's a choice I make not to allow you to defeat me here anymore. No more. I'm choosing to look forward into what God has for me and not in the past of where I was and what I've been. I'm choosing to 
follow this example of replicating myself. I'm choosing to recognize the power in my story. And if nobody hears it, there's no reproduction. If nobody hears it, it never grows broader or deeper or farther than me. But to those who hear it, they'll have a story of their own to tell. And the people they tell will have a story of their own to tell. And the people they tell will have a story of their own to tell all about what Jesus has done for me, what he's done in me. Would we leave tonight different and challenged and changed and encouraged because we face truth and we faced it honestly and openly to say, God, if you'll give me the strength, I will. If you'll, if you'll come alongside me, as I know you promised to do, I will. I'll face that. I'll deal with it. I want to move on. I want to choose to look into the future, not into the past. I want to choose to be who you designed for me to be and not who the enemy tells me I am. My love for you is what motivates me to do that. Would we have a deeper love for you tonight than we've ever known? We pray in your son's name. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Crosspoint Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.